joining us today on a special episode of the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Today we have a special guest in the studio sharing their story about how Jesus has changed their life. Join us as we discuss stories and discover how Jesus is famous in the testimonies of those around us. All right. Hey, everybody. Jesus Famous Podcast. I'm Nate Holdridge. Thanks so much for joining us. And today I'm so excited because I have one of my main partners in crime in the studio with me today, Pastor Manny Calazzo. Hey. What's up, Manny? Hey, Nate. Great to be here. Great Thanks to be here. Thanks for coming, man. Hey, audience. Good to see you. Yeah. So, Manny, you have a black belt. You hold a black belt in Okinawa and Shindu, Ryu. Did and I get that you right? You remember that? Yeah, I got it right. Folks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to act like I even know what that is, but what is that? It's a Japanese style of karate, kind of a fusion of a hard and a soft style of karate. Yeah. Okay. So for those who are into it, Shotokan and Goju, those are the two different styles that make up Okinawan Shindoru. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So... Now, some people aren't watching this and some people don't know you, yeah. you know, that are listening to this right now. So I just got to say for the record, you know, you're not one of these guys that's like 115 pounds with a black belt. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're a man. You're, you're, I got a full man sitting in front of me right now. Okay. So, and you, you, uh, not that long ago, you were actually like running a gym, right? Or a, a what do you yeah, call it? Martial arts studio, dojo. A dojo. Okay. Yes. So you had students, yep. you're, you're a practitioner, yep. you're even in competitions yes. pretty recently, yes. right? Okay. So my question is, uh, on the pastoral staff, if uh, here at Calvary Monterey, if you, if you were in a back alley yes. street brawl, who, which guy would give you the toughest time, do you think? I, I would have to say it would be Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh, Pastor okay, Josh, yeah, because he's the way he's built, and he also has some martial arts background in him too. He knows, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I, you know, I'd, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be careful if he gets me on the ground because uh, he knows how to roll and time. Right, me up. he's the jujitsu guy, jiu -jitsu now. guy. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm more of a striker, stand up, you know, box kicking. Once you get me on the ground, neutralized. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I remember when you were the youth pastor years ago, and I was helping you out in the youth ministry, and we were just in our, like, I was in my early 20s. You were in your mid or late 20s. But I remember the students, they would try to mess with you. The boys <laughs> would try to mess with you. Yep. And I remember your reflexes, like, they would try to get you from behind, and you would just turn and pop yeah <laughs> it's like oh man so he'd have a tough time getting you on the ground yes you'd give him a run for his money but if he got you on the ground you you don't yeah. really the okinawan shindu ryu didn't teach you what to do for that nope nope okay. all right so let's back it up you were uh you're, you're not a you're not a west coast kid you're no. an East Coast kid. So yeah, tell us about, where'd you grow up? Yeah, I was born and raised in the Bronx. Um, oh. My parents immigrated. My mom from Dominican Republic, my dad from Puerto Rico. They met in New York City a few years later, got married, and uh, had me. 
was born and raised in the Bronx. So growing up in your home in the Bronx, what was the primary language that was spoken in the house? Oh, Spanish was my first language. Yeah. And when all the other kids, when I went to school, when all the other kids were taking their naps, I was up learning how to speak English. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So at school, at school, you're doing that kindergarten. And how yeah. were you doing that in kindergarten? Working with a teacher? Were you on your own? No, the teacher would kind of keep me up during nap time and we'd work on, you know, speaking and how to write and, and all that. So amazing. Yeah. Now your mom speaks great English. I've had conversations mm -hmm. with her. So was she that solid of an English speaker at that time? So where she could kind of banter with you and yeah, absolutely. But uh, Spanish was always spoken at home. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, it ended up switching where English became my primary. But to keep me sharp in my Spanish, my mom would primarily speak Spanish at home. Over the summer, she'd send me to Dominican Republic, her home country, to be with my grandmother, and I'd keep on working on my Spanish chops. So I'm still fluent, but English has become my primary Spanish secondary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're growing up in the Bronx. And uh, at what point did your mom become a single mom? Okay. That happened pretty quickly. I was about, I, if I remember correctly, my mom mentioned around three, when I was three years old, okay. her and my dad ended up splitting up alcohol, drugs, cheating, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, since, and then at some point after that, she met my stepdad. Um, her and my stepdad got together and... Uh, stayed married. He was the kind of the guy who was around. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't that strong of a... He loved me in his own way, um, but wasn't that strong of a father figure. More of a buddy is what I would okay. tell him. By the way, let me preface this, because I know my mom's going to listen to this. Mom, you did a great job in raising me. There is no shame. There's nothing wrong. God had his hand on my life. You did not make any mistakes. Yeah. You know, so God's God had me the whole time. So. Yeah, she's a great woman. She loves you so much. And it's been cool for me to see how supportive she is of your pastoral yep. calling. You and me, we were, we were ordained yes. on the same night in the mm -hmm. same church service here in the church many years ago. And I remember, I think she was watching either on the live stream or the recording yes. or something like that. And uh, she's always so sweet to me whenever she's in town. So I, I know how much she appreciates the, the work of the ministry. Yeah. So growing up, how, how did Jesus come into your life? How did you get saved? How did you come to know him? Well, it all started with my mom not being able to have kids, you know, and she had lots of um, reproductive issues. And mm. she told God, hey, give me a son, and I want you to use him in the ministry. She was Catholic. All she knew was the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so she, when I was born, I was an answer to her prayers. And she wanted me to be a Catholic priest. So she raised me in the church in the front pew, going to mass every Sunday with my rambunctious, bouncing up and down, left and right, hammer me down, sit down, you, this is the way you do it. And mm -hmm. um, so I was raised in the Catholic church, altar boy, first communion, confirmation, all that sort. And I think I had a, a sincere faith, but it was definitely works oriented and trying to earn the favor of God, um, praying prayers and, you know, in hopes that God would answer my requests and what I thought that I wanted. Mm. Um, probably when I was about 15 years old, though, I ended up walking away from all of that, rebelling against it, and just uh, living my own life, living for myself, living for pleasure, looking for identity, what does it mean to be a man, looking at the examples of men around me, trying to be like them. It was probably when, it was around when I was 17 years old, my senior year of high school, where um, 
God got my attention. I was, uh, for all intents, uh, had reached this place where I was getting my black belt in martial arts, was um, going to college, I was dating this great girl that I thought I would eventually marry. All what I thought, all the pistons in my life were firing. Mm -hmm. And as I was looking to this next phase of my life, this next chapter, going to college, what career would I pursue? Being such a purpose-driven guy, nothing fulfilled, nothing found, nothing seemed to match. And I was like, man, what does it mean to be me? And I was asking some pretty deep questions for a young man. Who am I going to be? What am I going to be? If I pursue college and I go to college, what am I going to study? What's going to come out the other end? Even when I finally achieved the rank of black belt at, during that season, after having gone through this, I mean, I started martial arts when I was eight, 17 years old, nine years later was when I finally got achieved the rank of black belt. And it, and it was a hard, grueling test, you know, four, four hours. And, and then after that, to have my instructor wrap this belt around my waist and it was like empty. Mm -hmm. This goal since I, since I, and I was like, man, this doesn't scratch the itch, doesn't satisfy. And so I hit this real deep depression during my life when I, I, I don't know if I hit rock bottom, but I was just searching. And a buddy of mine who we grew up in the martial arts together, he had come back from California. Uh, he left New York, <clears throat> went to California, got discipled, came back to New York to start a Bible study in Yonkers just north of the Bronx where I was raised, and he invited me to it. And that night when I walked into that room, I just saw a different man. I mean, he was not the same man that I saw leave New York. And that night he shared the gospel. He was teaching from the book of Ephesians, and I don't quite understand every, all the details of what he was saying, but I do remember knowing the fear of God entering into me and just like, if I die right now, I'm going to hell. Wow. And I naturally was asking the, the question, well, how do I get out of it? How would I get rescued? How do I get, is there a way out? And when he shared the gospel, Jesus is what rescued. I said, well, that's what I want. And even right now as I'm, I'm remembering yeah. <laughs> being in that small Bible study and, um, and I said, well, I, I want Jesus. And so as he explained the gospel and what Jesus, that Jesus rescues and he saves me from hell and I'll be spared. And that instant I said, well, if that's what, if that's what he did for me, then he gets all of me. I signed over the rights to my life that night mm -hmm. because I, of how, of the salvation, this rescue experience that I was having. And I said, well, if that's what you did for me, then you have my life. Whatever you say goes. Here's a blank check. I write it for whatever amount you want. Mm. And that night I walked out of that apartment a totally different person. Wow. So you're 17 years old at that point. You're, uh, you're, you're dating this girl. So I, that, that means you gave up on the priesthood dreams that your mom had. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that happened real quick. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you've submitted your life to Christ. I'm sure like not knowing hardly at all what just happened. Yes. So what were the next stages that unfolded in the next few months? Well, I didn't know what it meant to live for God, but I wanted to live for God, whatever that looked like. I didn't understand the details of, of what that was, but it, it was just the sovereignty of God is, is all I could give credit to. 
that something within me said, something has to change. And in those first few months, it was tough because I had my friends, I had this girl that I was dating, and the pull of my life was working against my desire to walk and live for God. And, um, and so there'd be step forward and then I'd fall. I never once gave up on my faith, never once stopped believing or stopped, but it was just a constant struggle of, man, I, I don't know how to do this. I, I remembered Catholic, you know, I will have to pray more, I have to read more. So learning how to live in the gospel was, was very clunky and awkward, mm. but sincere and passionate and zealous for God, sharing Jesus wherever I want, even in the midst of not knowing how to walk this faith and how to say no to sin, how to combat the flesh and the world and its pull. But I'd still was zealous and wanting to live for God. Um, so that's what it, those were the first few months was steps forward, step back, step forward, sinning, step in repentance. What did I just do? How to, why, how, I just didn't know how to yeah. live this out, but I was trying and it wasn't until, let's see, a few months in, maybe month number three, month number four, that uh, in my devotional life, it was like God was, I felt God directed me to go to California and go to Bible school. Mm -hmm. And um, thank God for that because I needed to disconnect and reject that life and go out. And that's where I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. Yeah, I want to ask you about that time, but a couple of things that just stand out to me about that part of your story um, is that um, I think it's so important for those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a longer period of time, we got some maturity under our belt. We're able to handle the meat of the word. Uh, we know what it looks like to walk with him. I think it's so important for us to continue to cultivate atmospheres that can handle the crazy new believer who is just flip-flopping back and forth like you said the yes. two steps forward the one step back i think sometimes when that young person or that newer believer takes that one step back they say the wrong thing mm -hmm. they do the wrong thing they sin the they yeah. do the wrong sin you know that all of that we can kind of pounce on them or we don't know how to process it. yes like dude that needs to be immediately corrected don't they know that's not christian behavior but the reality is you were going through a process. I think the ingredient that you had that was beautiful was there was the passion there, yes. the desire there for the Lord. It's it's a different ballgame altogether when someone's for 10 years doing the two step forward, <laughs> one step back kind of thing. It's like, are you really wanting this? Mm -hmm. You know, but I think we got to have that mentality where, you know, my hope for our fellowship and church is that, you know, we're a, we're a grace filled environment where the older know how to minister to and handle the younger yep. who are going through those early, awkward growing pains of what it looks like to yes. be a full fledged disciple. Okay. So God directs you sovereignly to uh, Calvary Chapel Bible college here on the West coast up in uh, twin peaks yes. in Southern California. And I know that school, that's where I ended up going to school myself. Um, but it's just a small little Bible school. Um, the classes there are, um, you know, not classes like 
Biblical Formation 101 or uh, a uh, History of Ecclesiology. It's um, Matthew, mm -hmm. Genesis, yes. Revelation, books of the Bible. <laughs> just books of the Bible. You're continually being poured into by the Word of God. So what was that experience like for you? And did you feel like you fit in right away when you went there? I mean, what was it like being with all these other young people that were in a similar season of life? Yeah, it was a culture shock for me. Uh, being a 17, 18-year-old kid from the Bronx, very hard exterior, that suspicious, standoffish nature of New York that, you know, you just had this hard exterior mm -hmm. uh, coming out of that, had this thick New York accent, you know, that, um, and I just felt, and I was just young in my faith. I didn't know how to, but I was hungry. I was hungry for Jesus. The only thing I probably had in common was the, that I was hungry for Jesus, loved the Bible, and wanted to grow in this new faith of mine. And so it was hard for me to make friends. You know, at first I felt mm -hmm. that uh, the not only was I in California now, but now I was in this Christian Disneyland, this bubble, you know, called Bible College. Um, and there are a few friends though that that kind of look past that. Uh, my buddy Bruce Watson is one of the guys who you know also had a rough background, but from California, looked past that and just kind of embraced me, loved me. Mm -hmm. Another guy, Ed Bustamante, was a guy who kind of looked past that and just loved me and brought me in. And so it was cool to have some a few select guys. Uh, another guy was Alex Montenegro, who's from the area here. Yeah. We were bunkmates in Bible college, and uh, and so God put some key guys in my life to. Uh, who to look past it and give me the time and the slack that I needed to adapt to this new culture and grow in my faith. And I, I just took books of the Bible. My classes, I said, I need to know the Bible. And that was my buddy, my friend, who was my pastor, who led me to Jesus. That was his counsel to me. He said, get to know the Bible, get to know the Bible. So I just took Bible classes, as many books of the Bible that I could take. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hilarious because there you are as a baby boy, your mom's thinking the priesthood. Yep. And then fast forward, young adult, you're learning books of the Bible, obviously not for the priesthood, but God had different plans. Yeah. When did he start putting on your heart like, wow, I might be learning this not just for me, but through me yes. to other people. He might be calling me into a pastoral ministry life. When did that begin stirring within you? Well, the first, it, it happened during, at Bible college. Okay. Uh, you know, I would watch all these students. They had this one class where the students would give, give a daily devotion. Mm -hmm. And I would never do that. I said, nope, mm -mm, not me. I'll always choose for, to write it out and turn in a written. We had different options. And so I would always choose to. Well, then one day God started knocking on my door. He says, I want to use your mouth. I want to use you as a mouth, my mouthpiece. Mm. And um, I said, okay, if that's you, then you give me an opportunity to do a, a devotion to speak and I'll do it. Within days, somebody dropped out. The teacher who was in charge of that course, that class of daily devotion, he, would, uh, he came up to me and said, hey, a spot just opened up. Do you want to do it? I said, well, okay, let's go. So I prepared for it and I did it. And it was very raw, very, but afterwards, just the feedback I was getting was so affirming and encouraging. One older gentleman who was a student there came up to me and said, man, 
I could really see God using you, you know, and he mm. is just speaking the, those truths into my life. And, and I was like, okay, if the God's you. So I thought I was going to be an evangelist at first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a tremendous passion for reaching people, witnessing to people, going street witnessing with, uh, with the students. They had, you know, Friday night students would go to Hollywood Boulevard and preach and uh, hand out tracks. And, and I was always there. And just that getting those reps in of learning how to share my faith and extemporaneous, you know, mm-hmm. just taking the, the little bit that I had, which wasn't much, <laughs> and say, I'm going to use it, you know, and God was blessing it. And I thought, you know, I've just felt God's encouragement, God's hand of blessing on me. And then, you know, other believers observing and encouraging that as well. That's where I sensed the beginning of a call to ministry. So, Wow. And you say, you know, that you had a, an evangelistic heart. You, you definitely still have an evangelistic heart today. I think God has matured the process yeah. that you enter into to try to share the gospel with mm-hmm. people and bring them along to a saving faith. But so, so you're there in Bible college, you're, you're growing in the Lord, you're growing in the word, you're starting to sense some giftings, a sense of calling. Um, what happened after Bible college? Yeah. So, um, there were several opportunities that had opened up to me to, you know, uh, stay at Twin Peaks and there was a Calvary Chapel there in Lake Arrowhead that invited me to do an internship specifically because he saw that I was bilingual and could mm-hmm. speak Spanish. There was a Calvary Chapel in um, Pomona that was bilingual as well. I was invited down there, but didn't quite feel, you know, I was just kind of waiting. And one day my buddy Bruce Watson, he got up an opportunity to come up to San Jose to do an in, to be the youth pastor with Don McClure when he was up there at the time. And uh, he started, he, one day he felt God put on his heart, that's the guy you need to bring with you to San Jose to do an internship. Mm. And so he just started bugging me, bugging me. And he's, and I was like, no, nah, man, I'm not going, where's San Jose? I don't know where that San Jose is, man. I'm not going to San Jose, you know? And one day, you know, I, again, in prayer, seeking God, I just felt like this push, that's where you're supposed to go. Mm. And so I woke him up in the morning and said, dude, God's calling me to San Jose. I'm so going. I'm going. So a few, a day or two after graduation, man, we jumped in his uh, Volkswagen bus and made the drive up to San Jose. And that's where I cut my, started my pastoral internship on staff there at Calvary Chapel San Jose. Couple of very mature gentlemen <laughs> rolling into town. Didn't they have like dorms there or something? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Don was trying to flip this, Don McClure, the senior pastor there at the time was trying to turn this church around. And, um, I, you know, I got paid $200 a month. We ate our, my food. We got taken care of feeding wise was through the, the pantry, the food pantry at the church. They buy food for the, by the pound at the, uh, the food bank. And we'd get to be the first ones to go through it and and I survived off of a little microwave and a little Bunsen burner for a year. Yeah. And that's how we lived there. Just uh, loving the teenagers, the students there, learned working on how to preach. And I didn't know. I just had a love for Jesus. Nobody taught me. I didn't take a homiletics class. I just look at what all my professors did and teachers did. I guess that's the way to do it. Right. So, Just amazing. I mean, it's like... I, I, 
obviously there were probably some labor laws being uh, <laughs> you know stretched a little bit during that season but it was the opportunity that you needed yeah you know was, and if if was. the requirement had been like a you know full hourly wage and you know full 40 hours a week no more than that or you know benefits or whatever mm-hmm. Probably that opportunity wouldn't open up yeah. there for yeah. you. So that was God's way of getting oh my you in goodness. the door. Definitely. And it, it was a step of faith. And I was just crazy on fire for Jesus. Going to you know, do and follow God wherever, whatever you want to do. And mm-hmm. that's where my f- trust and confidence was. So that's why I took that opportunity. Yeah. Now, I think it must have been right around that time that I first met you. Yeah. That our lives intersected. Yeah, that's where we began to intersect. There was a reason why you began to gravitate a little bit to Monterey. Mm-hmm. So why don't you share about that? What happened? So the churches, you know, we were close together. And I remember we did a, um, a camp, a retreat on spiritual warfare, the armor of God. and For Cal- the kids. For the kids. Okay. And, and um, Calvary Chapel, Monterey was one of the churches that came out to San Jose. And I remember when our when we first crossed paths, you were still I think you were still a student, and Denise, who is now my wife, probably had just graduated high school, and she was apparently I think she was teaching you how to drive her Volkswagen Bug in the parking lot. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> and I said, "This is not smart." And I go up to the car, I said, "Come on, nope, get out now, park that, get out now." <laughs> and so that's where my first interaction with you and. The woman who's and now your my wife. wife. Yep. <laughs> in the parking lot of Calvary Chapel, oh San Jose. Gosh. I totally forgot that story, but now it's all coming back to me. I remember her little like beige, cream-colored yep. Volkswagen bug. Yes. I was probably just trying to figure out how do I drive a stick shift. <laughs> yep. That was it. <laughs> That's good. So, so, so you met her there, mm-hmm. and then what began to follow? I mean, she must have at some point caught your interest. Yeah, nothing happened there because she looked so young. She looked like a student, and I had, you know, I had made a decision I would never date a student. Sure. But it wasn't until a few months later at a summer camp that both churches went to. Um, she was standing in the registration line at this junior high summer camp. I was the keynote speaker. She was leading worship with a guy named Dave Messenger. The youth pastor at the time here at Calvary Monterey was uh, Brian Cosgrove, and he and I were friends. And I had asked him, what does a godly woman look like? And she was up there singing with Dave Messenger. And he goes, like that. And I was like, wow. wow. And I, by that, I had already had my eye on her, you know, at camp. And I said, that's going to be my wife. I want to marry her. <laughs> Goals. And I said, and that was it. I was done. I was done. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so... Um, you guys, you guys meet, you guys connect. And yep. Do you want to tell the next part of your story for us? Sure. So I was very young in my faith, probably three, four years, you know, walking with Jesus. And we uh, uh, started dating right away. Things progressed very quickly. I was going through a tough time, you know, adjusting to ministry, you know, still figuring out that the, my buddy Bruce had left San Jose. Okay. And, um, the new youth pastor who came in just was a different kind of guy. And I'm still working out what it means to believe, how to walk with Jesus, even though I had this. And I burnt out pretty quickly. And I found myself just wanting to be away from the church and wanting to be here in Monterey with Denise. And uh, we um, uh, put ourselves in a compromised situation one night. 
we had sex and uh, she got pregnant right away. It was uh, quite a surprise to us. Obviously, we didn't know it right away, but that night after it happened, I went back to San Jose, told my pastor and stepped down from ministry. He still wanted to keep me on board. Denise went, told her parents, and um, that changed the trajectory of our lives, you know, very quickly. Right. We didn't know we were going to be married. Um, she actually was rejecting me and didn't know that we would end up pursuing marriage, mm -hmm. but um, she just didn't want to go from one mistake into another. Right. And so she did the wise thing and saying, hey, you know, hit the brakes. Even though from the moment I saw her, I was convinced she was you my were wife. In. Yeah. yeah. She um, needed some time to sure. process that. Uh, your dad, as a matter of fact, was the pastor here. I ended up relocating here mm -hmm. um, with no guarantee that she would be my wife. And your dad uh, took us through some really in-depth premarital counseling. And then we determined after that, yeah, after going through this and finding out who we are, we do want to pursue marriage. And so mm -hmm. we ended up getting married six months after we met. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. She was about four or five months pregnant at the time. Yeah. And I remember that season as well. You know, I'm a few years younger than your wife, I think two years younger than Denise. And, uh, you know, she's just a sweet person. She's a processor, yes. you know, thinks long and hard about things. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that was a real overwhelming thing for a young woman to be processing and thinking about. I know you're a quicker yes. thinker, you know, so you were ready to go, ready to step into things. And she's probably wondering like, is he thinking about all the details here? But you know, it was, I remember, uh, just seeing how God's grace was just really evident, you know, like you guys knew, like we didn't do the right thing. We didn't do the best thing. Uh, but the church was cool to you guys. There was a, you know, restoration was happening. Mm -hmm. And you're just trying to make the best of an unfortunate situation. Yeah. And God was redeeming it from the very beginning. So you guys end up getting married. It's like so quick, your whole life has changed. Yep. You're still feeling a ministry calling that mm -hmm. hasn't been taken away from you. I thought ministry was done. I okay, actually, so you're having that feeling. Yeah, I thought yeah. I would I've never. Disqualified I'm myself. disqualified. I will never. This is done. My job now is to love my wife and yeah. be a father to my kid. Yeah. And so I came out here, looked for work, and put my shoulder to providing for my family. Yeah. So describe those those years. I, I, I think I remember my dad being involved and wanting to see you like, hey, no, you still have a ministry call upon your life. Yeah. So how, how did that kind of progress? Yeah, that was really surprising to me because as Denise was um, – pregnant now and we're pursuing marriage and you know I always thought and oh no now we're married and I'm like you know God I, I don't know if ministry will ever happen but you know that's all up to you you know I, I gave you my life from day one my life is still yours and if you see fit then I'll I'll obey you but I don't see how that's going to happen um, so I apparent I think behind the scenes because your dad had gotten to know me in the counseling room and had saw something, maybe sincerity, the brokenness, sorrow, repentance over my sin, the decisions I was making to be a husband and a father, um, he must have seen something. And he asked Brian to start pursuing, Brian Cosgrove, the youth pastor at the time, mm -hmm. to start pursuing me. And he asked me to be the, to do the junior high. And so I stepped into that role and started volunteering, teaching the junior high ministry. 
Yeah. yeah, this was back in the days of the theater when you, Calvary Monterey was meeting at the meeting theater. At the Lighthouse Cinemas yes. in Pacific Grove. Yeah, and for those of you listening to this, if you want to hear the story of the church's life at about that time, I did an interview with my dad on this same podcast um, a few weeks ago, and so you can uh, catch that. But there's a, a couple of things that stand out to me about that part of your story and that part of your life, Manny. One of them is that... Um, I don't know if you've thought about it this way or not, but God being a redeemer, I know that you've considered that and God was redeeming your life and that situation at that point, little, your son, Manny Jr. was born Mm -hmm. and a great gift to the two of you. But to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but to me, what you became in from that point forward you became someone who it was like, to me, it's like God used that moment to spur you into what is biblical manhood. I want to be that. And I'm going to pursue that relentlessly. And that has spilled into the lives of so many other young men over the years through your life. So it's almost, to me, it's like God used this thing that you wish you hadn't have done and then kickstarted like a movement in you that has spread into lots of other young men over the years. Oh yeah. He's a redeemer. Yes, he is. You know, I not having had a father figure in my life, now I'm given the opportunity. You're a father. I'm a dad. Yeah. And I'm looking around, well, how do you do this? You know, how you know, I don't all I have is how not to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, all the men in my life that I look around to were men that were not, but when I was here, I had your dad, my father-in-law, and I'm seeing this example of marriages that have sustained and gone the distance. And mm. I'm saying, man, that, you know, I want this. But the other thing that worked, I think worked about my advantage was because I didn't have a father figure and I, and I remember the stories that were told to me about things that my father did, failures that he made, I said, I do not want that. And so I knew what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never became an issue of me having a hard time connecting with God as my father. Because I said, man, I don't want this. So who's my model? Mm-hmm. It's you mm-hmm. and the men that I see around me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, as a result of not having it, I learned how to be a father to my son, but also a dad to um, many other young men who had come from broken homes and being that role model of, of, of a, you know, uh, here's what a dad looks like. Here's how a dad acts. Here's how a dad treats his wife and treats his kids. And it was awesome to be, you know, to eventually become the youth pastor here at Calvary Monterey. And I can't tell you the numbers of young men who God has given me the grace and the opportunity to influence them and be that father figure for that season of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's given you uh, a, a magnetic pull. <laughs> With a lot of those kind of guys, yeah. you know, and it's who, awesome to see them now. They're in their thirties, being great husbands, of their family own. men. Yeah. And yeah, so and still staying in touch with some of them. Yeah, so. you have a real gift of um, getting in the trenches with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and just like, hey, let's go get groceries together. Let's go to the gym together. Yep. Let's just be together. Yes. You've always had that desire and gifting. As some a of them have even lived with me. We yep. had an extra room now. But the point that we're sitting here, you know, fast forward all the way to today, 
you've got, you know, you, you ended up having two boys. Mm-hmm. Both of them are grown men yes. at this point, which is just a trip. You and Denise are empty nesters and enjoying that stage of life. I feel like you guys are really thriving in it, but you're in a season right now where God brought you back to Monterey after a lot of adventures in between those years of you being a youth pastor here, beginning your family here, and then now coming back here Mm -hmm. to serve the Lord in this executive pastor role and being part of the pastoral team here. So give me a overview quickly of what the years in between were like this boomerang life where you've come back to this place what were you guys up to in that season? Uh, again, just I feel from my perspective is just following God one step at a time, one stage at a time. Um, when we left here, we moved to Georgia where we planted a Calvary Chapel down there, then moved to Virginia where I stepped back into youth ministry. And then I was, I've been the pastor of three other existing churches, Baptist churches um, in Iowa, Merced and Fresno. And, um, I believe it was just a season of preparing me for what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, had some great experiences, have some great friends, some heartache as well, um, disappointments. I think that all is part of uh, the gospel experience. Um, I don't think uh, to expect it to be just a Christian Disneyland. You know, you're dealing with people, dealing with sin, and there's heartbreak, there's hard times. But God has used all of that in my life to um, uh, prepare me, I believe, for what he's wanted me to do now and to be in this role as the executive pastor. Yeah. So So those years, you know, all that pastoral experience, planting, trying to uh, reinvigorate churches Mm -hmm. that were dying in a couple of instances, taking leadership of existing churches, Mm -hmm. helping churches go from one level to the next, you know, that experience as you were out there in Georgia and Iowa and uh, Central California, as you're in all of these places, what are some of the ways that your vision of the church and what ministry is like, how, how did that shape during that season? Because you're clearly the same person that you were before, but also a kind of more matured, grown-up version. So how, how did that change over time? Well, some, I'll start with some of the things that stayed the same, the priority and passion for the word of God, the preaching and teaching mm-hmm. of God's word, the necessity of depending on the spirit of God, the emphasis on the grace of God in my life. Those are roots that go deep, you know, that were instilled in me here at Calvary Monterey, Calvary Chapel Bible College. I think some of the things that have changed is my, uh, the, how would I say the, um, how critical my, my understanding of the great commission has definitely, I think matured. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't see it as just a command to be an evangelist. I think Jesus told us to make disciples and it's a fusion of evangelism and discipleship that it's our responsibility to help people to in whatever stage of their spiritual life that they're in to help them to that next step 
for whatever, however long they're in my life. Sometimes that means leading them to Christ. Sometimes it means, no, you've already come to Christ. Now my job is to teach you how to read the Bible, teach you how to disciple someone, teach you how to... It's all about the development, the nurturing, the cultivating. And I believe that the church, not the organization, but the people within the church, mm-hmm. we are all responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, if there's one thing that makes me tick is to see the individuals within the church catch that and say, I have a responsibility to take what's been given to me and what I'm experiencing and what has been, God has done with me and to pass it along to somebody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So when when you're saying that or when you think that how do how does that play out in the life of somebody coming to church here at calvary monterey like what what would you hope that they would do and experience in the christian life i think first i hope that they would experience uh, a sense of family you know i believe god created us to be in relationship to one another beyond just attending a meeting. Um, He calls himself father. And if he's my father and he's your father, that makes us brothers. That makes me brother and sisters with. And so we should live like family. The God's family. Some of us, when we think the idea of family, but it's God's family. We should get to know one another beyond just attending a service to one another, with attending a meeting where we're surrounded by strangers. But we should be able to love one another, depend on one another, care for one another as if we're family. Mm-hmm. I hope that's one of the things that we, that folks will experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the midst of that, just the environment here at Calvary. Um, the priority of the Word of God and this, you know, some of the values that were instilled in me, I think those things are the ingredients, the necessary ingredients to see you know, the mission and vision of what we want to see happen through Calvary Monterey, the fame of Christ expand and grow in and through the lives of individuals who experience that community, who experience the Word of God and the Spirit of God flowing through them. Mm-hmm. So that's what I hope to see and want to see and do see happening. Yeah. And I know your heart, you just love to see it when people uh, get to be used by God in the lives of other people in that. I I think one of the things I appreciate about you is the slow, the willingness to embrace a slow, non-programmatic, highly relational form Mm -hmm. of ministry. And yeah, it's think, just so natural. Yeah, yeah. and I loved. I think I, there. I've got more questions about this. I'd love to have a whole separate chat about this for the people in our church to be thinking about just um, ways to do that because I think you and Denise model that really well, mm-hmm. and we could kind of flesh that out a little bit more. Have you ever um, seen in all your experiences with different churches, even our church? Have you ever seen the church uh, kind of get focused on the wrong things? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to throw anybody under the bus, okay. but what are some of the the things that um, you think sometimes we can gravitate towards that get us off of the great commission that mm-hmm. Jesus gave to us? What are we drawn to? I, I think we get our wires crossed when we lose sight of the mission that Jesus gave us and the mission to be disciples who make disciples. Yeah. That is 
the goal, that is the mission. And there are things that creep in that we make connections to that cause us to, uh, to creep away from that mission. Mm. Um, I mean, this, these past two years have been a perfect example of that. Mm. Um, you know, the politics and, uh, you know, there's different social issues that even though of, that should flow out of the great commission, but I think what I've seen happen is that becomes the commission, right? You know, and, um, different social issues, whether it's, even though, of course, we believe in the pro-life movement, we believe in that value. But my, my goal is to see Jesus famous. My goal is to see the, once the gospel is established in somebody's life, that takes care of all the other secondary mm. and things that flow out of that. But okay, so that's awesome that, you know, somebody gets sober, but they're still going to hell if they don't know Jesus. So the priority is the gospel. The priority is discipling. As a result of that, they get sober. As a result of that, Jesus deals with their worldview. Jesus deals with their politics. So for me, I want to be, I want the priority and the emphasis, the first thing that we deal with in somebody's life is the lordship of Jesus in your life. Is Jesus famous in your life? Once he establishes himself as king, he begins to meddle with all those other issues mm -hmm. at some point in their life. So did I, does that answer your question? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I think one of the things that I've noticed about the style of being a disciple who makes disciples, when you're really engaged with that, it has this way of turning down the, the heat a little bit, the temperature a little bit, because when you're not a disciple making disciples, then what you see are just big groups that you want to change mm -hmm. and big groups that are problematic with this world. But when you're a disciple making disciples, you have to like interact with a real person. Mm -hmm. It's not just like an image of a person or someone you don't know that is spouting off online. You're actually dealing with a real human being. And you generally, I think, realize I have a lot more in common with this person than I originally thought. And you get to hear their heart. You get to hear where they're coming from. And it just kind of humanizes everything. We have a we we just have a tendency to be a little more vitriolic yes. with people who aren't in the room than when we're actually going through the process of personally yeah. working to help somebody be fashioned into the image of Christ. So uh, yeah, I love that. But yeah, the, some of the stories you've shared with me about your different church experiences. Yeah, you know, I mean, every church can. Um, experience distraction yes. and uh, I think that's good rather than thinking about what are all the things we could get distracted with let's think about are we focused on the mission yep. that Christ has given to us so what uh, what have been some of the things that you've enjoyed about being part back here you know part of Calvary Monterey again you know I'm so thankful to God that he reconnected us together but what's been good about that for for you in your life coming back to calvary Monterey is like coming back home for me um it's where i cut my teeth in ministry where i really began to grow some deep roots um it's where i saw 
your dad uh, not just preach, heard your dad not just preach, but live out grace towards me. Mm-hmm. And it spoiled me. You know, I, I was, it spoiled me for anything less, you know, to see the power of the grace of God through a man to somebody else's life and to see how transformational it was to me. So lots of memories, lots of, um, but I think, uh, um, I have so much throughout the years as I've still stayed in touch and have observed from a distance what God has done here, what God has been using you to do. There's a, just a reverential respect for this place for mm-hmm. you and to see what's obviously the hand of God, the health that there's he, that there is here. Not that, you know, again, it's not that it's a Christian Disneyland and we're, we live in this protective mm-hmm. bubble, but to see how we go through hard times and challenges, whether it be on staff or within the, within the congregation, um, you see God's hand of blessing even through the through the the, the wisdom that God has mm-hmm. given you and the team. As I was observing the pastors and some of the decisions that were made. When I moved back and saying, "Oh wow, look at the way they did that! Look at the, look at the way that staff member responded! Oh, man, they had the courage to do that, mm-hmm. to expose that sin in their life. That took courage. But what spoke to me was, man, they he had the cur- they had the courage to do that in the midst. Of, man, that speaks a lot to the leadership here and the culture here. Mm-hmm. This is a healthy place, and so, um, yeah, it's definitely changed. It's gotten younger." I think Calvary Monterey has kept up with the times, mm. very relevant. Uh, so, but still remain faithful to the roots and the values of God's word, the spirit mm. of God, the gifts of the spirit, the grace of God, things that are non-negotiables and uh, core values to me as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm hoping the Lord lets me be here for a really long time. So we're probably going to get older. So just be ready for that. But uh, uh, I'm so thankful. I was, I was, Denise was leading worship this last weekend. And I, when I saw her up there on the platform with the, with Riley and the other, you know, musicians, I just thought, I'm so thankful that they're here. You know, this is, it feels like you came home yeah. to me also. So what are some of the hopes? that you have for our church in the years to come? Well, I, I want to see the individuals that I've been able to connect with and cross paths with. I hope to see them repeat the process that I've started with them. Um, hmm. As far as, you know, young men who've I disciple, who I, who I am and have discipled, um, other people that I've invested in, and I hope that they continue to replicate the process so that, you know, we, so Jesus continues to be made famous through them. Um, and I'm not doing that because I started a ministry or because I'm the head of a ministry. You know, I just do that, you know, because that's who I am. That's what I do. So you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah. And so regardless of what my job or my role is, um, I want to see those disciples become disciples and make disciples. I'm sorry. I want to see those disciples make disciples. Um, I think in a, in a 
you know, broader, larger sense, um, I, I just love and passionate about how simple, but yet how big we, we will never achieve Jesus, you know, complete it, but we can see it happening. We want to continue to see it happen. Um, you know, everywhere. That's my, that's what I want to see happen. I I don't know what else to say, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, as far as that mission is, is what I'm about, Yeah, you know, um, in my personal life, but also in my professional life, quote yeah, unquote. Yeah, that the fame of Christ would, would expand mm-hmm. and spread and run as far as possible. And yeah, you know, we're always going to have that work mm-hmm. to do on this side of eternity. I was just reflecting the, recently on the, the J.R. Tolkien short story leaf by mm-hmm. niggle you mm-hmm. ever heard no, that heard story well he kind of wrote it about himself and it was about a painter who was named niggle which is an english word that means uh to fritter away your time okay and tolkien felt that he was like that that he always struggled to really get his big project and dream wow. accomplished and so he told this story about this painter who he wanted to paint this huge tree before he died, before he went on this journey. And he just kept painting this leaf over and over again. He kept fussing over it and dealing mm-hmm. with it. And finally the day came for him to go on his long journey to die. It was a metaphor wow. for death. And he never completed his big thing. They came to his house. They got the picture of the leaf. They put it in a museum, leaf by niggle. (laughs) And as he was in the afterlife on this journey on the train, the train came to a stop where he got out and it was the tree that he had wanted to paint was there in full glory. And he knew that it was a gift from the maker to Mm him. And he was expressing that story as a way of saying the things that God puts in our hearts to do here on earth, we'll never really fully experience the totality of them until that day when Christ resurrects all things Mm. and we enter into glory. So the Jesus famous vision, it's like, yeah, we're, we're painting a leaf here, but someday we're going to see the full blast of that vision when we're in his kingdom in glory. Wow. The very thing that we want so bad here, we're going to see there. So one last question, Manny, between my dad and I, who's the better pastor and teacher? No, just kidding. Don't answer that question. Uh, but I do sign your checks, but no, uh, Manny, thanks so much for being part of this and, and, uh, I just appreciate you so much. So glad you're part of the team here. Oh, man, I love it. Can't wait to see what the Lord does in the years to come. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Nate. Thanks for your time. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.